Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the Definitive Rap Podcast. We thank Vin News for hosting our program. This week, as Jews around the world celebrate Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, and the triumph of good over evil, there are many troubling issues facing Israel and the Jewish people in no small measure because of policies being advanced by the Biden administration. The signs were there early on with the countless anti-Israel cabinet nominations submitted by President Biden and his handlers. We have a U.S. administration determined to re-enter nuclear talks with Iran in spite of the violations uncovered by nuclear inspectors and Iran vowing to launch a nuclear attack against Israel. Recently, an Iranian commander said, We will not back off from the annihilation of Israel. A recent report from the IAEA states that Iran has enough uranium enriched to nearly 20 and 60 percent to produce a single nuclear weapon in as little as three weeks. President Biden also remains determined to reopen a consulate in Jerusalem to serve the Palestinian Authority against the objections of Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid. It's not enough that the Biden administration in Europe are also warning Israel about new housing projects or about building new housing projects in areas that they don't accept as being part of Israel. Joining us today from Israel is Barry Shaw from the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies, whom Bela will give a proper introduction to shortly to tell us how the Israeli people and the media are viewing the incompetence of this administration. Bela? How apropos that it is this week of Hanukkah, where we see the UN General Assembly passed the Jerusalem Resolution, rebranding the Temple Mount by its Muslim name, Al-Haram Al-Sharif, thereby, thereby erasing its Jewish roots and even connections to Christianity. And in the Hanukkah story, it is the Maccabees who revolt against the Syrians that try to annul Judaism and capture the Jewish land. What's interesting, though, with regard to the resolution is that the Christian countries are quiet. There's an expression, silence is acquiescence. The question is, are they quiet because they agree with this resolution? Or is there another reason? Our brilliant guest today on the Definitive Rap, who will explain it all in detail, is Barry Shaw. He is also our Israeli correspondent. We are honored to welcome Barry Shaw from Israel, senior fellow at the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies. He regularly contributes to various media outlets, including the Jerusalem Post, and is a frequent speaker at conferences and pro-Israel advocacy events. Barry Shaw has been a staunch defender of Israel in the public diplomacy arena for decades, and he has initiated the creation of several pro-Israel grassroots groups He has a keen following of tens of thousands of people globally, 
and is the author of Israel Reclaiming the Narrative, Fighting Hamas, BDS, and Anti-Semitism. And his most recent book, BDS for Idiots, employs ridicule as new method of countering BDS activists and disclaiming their slander against Israel with facts and humor. Barry, welcome back again to The Definitive Rap. Really nice to see you again. Thank you for having me. In Judaism, we believe that there is very little to no coincidence in this world. We are in the middle of Hanukkah, yet this defamation of Jews and Christians is somehow being put under the wraps. What do you think that is? It's very auspicious. I don't know, it's something in Judaism that, that uh, there's a sort of a rhythm that's coming around and things happen in auspicious times that's connected to the Jewish calendar. Um, and um, I, it, it's, it's surprising how uh, things from the Bible always seems to find its place in modern times. Yeah. Um, one of the things maybe we talk about later, if we have time, if not another date, is that, you know, when I'm talking to Christian audiences, the thing that really gets them is that you can see by looking at me, I'm not what you might call an Orthodox Jew, but I'm one that believes things, and I think, see things coming out from biblical times to have relevance today. And one of those that I point out, and I pointed it out under the Obama administration, I'm pointing it out now under the Biden administration, is two things, a modern thing. If you have an administration that's doing bad things against Israel, bad things seem to happen within America. It could be the economy and other things. It happened under Obama. And when you had a, a presidency of President Trump, who did, did good things for the Jews and great things for Israel and stood with America's greatest ally in the world, great things happened in America. You also had prosperity. And now you have an administration that is weak on Israel Pandas are enemies, and bad things are happening within America. The two you think won't be aren't related, but there seems to be a symbiosis, there's a rhythm there of things. Your economy is suffering, uh, you're in turmoil on the streets, or whatever. We can get into that if we have time later on the show. I'd like to have talk about it at some other times. But there's there is this same strange sort of connection, and you can hear the voice of a biblical prophecy. When God said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you, and you see it carrying out as we speak. So, it's Barry, I'm going to just uh, segue into that, that I always saw support for Israel from those who are outside as a moral issue and not a political issue. And if you're weak on Israel, that means you have weak moral character. And if you're weak morally, then it just transcends and filters down to everything else that you're doing. Now, one of the things I want to ask you about, you know, I grew up on Bibi Netanyahu. Now, again, Americans have a different view of him than many Israelis. To us, he was always that telegenic rock star. We saw this young, handsome guy from the 80s, very telegenic, great speaker. But, you know, all good things come to an end. And uh, now you have um, Lapid and you have Bennett. And I kind of view them as good cop, bad cop, for lack of a better term, at least for America. Lapid is centrist, left which is good for the Democrats. Um, I was happy to see that they spoke with, a, with one voice against Iran and against the consulate. But my question is this. I mean, be, on TV and in the media, 
It's good cop, bad cop. But what is really happening behind the scenes there? Because Lapid, whether I like him or not in general, he's not stupid. And he knows that his massaging the egos of the Democrats can only go so far. Is there consensus in Israel that these two carry different weight with the U.S. administration than what we had under Bibi, who was seen by many as being in lockstep with the Republicans? Yeah, well, certainly there's a different approach uh, from uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, certainly when it comes to dealing with the American administration. Um, Bibi got so far with the American administration, uh, and he was applauded in places, and it Uh, Some people say it didn't get the necessary results. Now, it seems that the uh, uh, Lapid-Bennett approach is more softly-softly, more uh, uh, nuanced, if you want to call it that. And there's a certain approach that say, you know, how to win friends and influence people is not to get the backstop of the uh, Democrats. So if you can... uh, I don't want to use the word schmooze up the, the Democrats, but you speak to them softly and show them the righteousness of our cause and see what's happening. Maybe, just maybe, we can appeal to the um, whatever left is of the uh, the moderate uh, Democrats in the in the uh, in the in their caucus to to go against the the rad, go against the radicals. Although it seems you're, that part is left lost to the radicals um, because we do need the. Um, the Americans on board going forward. Having said that, uh, and as I'll go into the detail shortly, I will tell you that um, we're not blind to this. Uh, and I'm going to expose certain things that uh, I think you and your viewers would be very interesting to hear, particularly as a surprise to Iran. Because Iran is this uh, um, very real existential threat for Israel and a more distant threat to the United States. And whereas Bibi spoke with a firm voice and everything, uh, things are happening um, publicly in one direction and diplomatically in another. For instance, I can tell you that uh, uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett called on uh, Anthony Blinken, the uh, Secretary of State um, uh, today, uh, and told Blinken or asked uh, Blinken to immediately halt the ongoing negotiations in Vienna over Iran's uh, nuclear program. And he told Blinken that Iran was utilizing what he called nuclear blackmail uh, as a tactic. And therefore, the United States should initiate an immediate cessation of negotiations. And then it referred to a report by the International Atomic Energy Agency, revealing, as you mentioned in the intro, that Iran had begun enriching uranium to 20% purity with advanced centrifuges at its Fordo facility. This is a strength and underground facility, by the way, um, which might have relevance later on. Then it told uh, Blinken, by the way, that instead of a return to the, the, the ninth, uh, 2015 nuclear deal, he should pull out uh, and concrete steps against Iran. Uh, it should be taken by the major parties. And to back that up, it, that Yaya Lapid, who is uh, the foreign minister, has uh, just got back from uh, going off to London and to Paris to actually bring on board both Great Britain and uh, France into a sort of an alliance to take what you could say would be concrete steps to take in a, against uh, Iran. Now, as I said, the Biden administration has repeatedly reiterated its uh, desire to return to the 2015 agreement. Um, 
but what they're stuck on is right now the Trump, which quite frankly has crippled Iran. I could give you another talk, which would go on for half an hour, of what's happening within Iran with regard to the Iranians and mass protests going on because of the terrible economic situation. This is a challenge to the Iranian regime. But in fact, the Iranian regime, the newly introduced leader of Iran, is the hard, core, tough uh, Iranian. I'm involved in another issue, and I've made a video, and I'm making another one next week, about a trial that's going on in Sweden, where an Iranian from the regime was arrested and is on trial for international war crimes and human rights crimes, because he was a Raisi, President Raisi is the new leader of Iran, was in from the 1980s and 90s, they had a, uh, a uh, enforced, they, they were um, arresting, torturing, raping and murdering, not hundreds, but thousands of Iranians, the opposition. Uh, and they haven't been brought to trial. Because it seems like the world, the Europeans and the United States, seem to go softly on Iran. So they are getting away with the most grotesque crimes, mass crimes in human history. Since, well, not in human history, let's not exaggerate, post-Hitler, let's say. And this has not been exposed. But we're making efforts, and Alan, I would argue and be able to actually try and interview one or two of the Iranians involved in this case and bring it to the attention of your people in America, because quite frankly, your American administration should take up this cause, which would end up with the International Criminal Court. But coming back to the Iranian issue, the Israel approach, as I mentioned to you, is different from the tactics of Benjamin Netanyahu. Going to loan. He had a going to loan sort of strategy. And the Lapid, Bennett, and Benny Gantz are trying to coordinate with the United States and what we call the E3, that's France, Germany, and the United Kingdom, in wanting to have Israel's case not only heard, but also have Israel play an integral part of the conversation. And by the way, if, if this fails, next week, uh, Benny Gantz, the Israel defense minister, is coming to Washington, D.C to have talks with his the U.S. counterpart, Lloyd Austin. Uh, and that is going to mean something of, of what is he going to tell Lloyd Austin is that when talks fail, as they inevitably will, and that's the, uh, the Israeli perspective, uh, we must prepare ourselves, as Benny Gantz says, uh, for the alternatives. And for that, we need the Pentagon to help us out we, to do, for us to do the job, we don't want the Americans to do the job, but we're getting to the stage now where action has to be taken. Now, Israel wants to talk to the major powers about what we call Plan B more than Plan A, because we don't believe there's any value in it in pursuing a lost cause, which is Plan A. Although we seem to be making progress with France, it's hardened its approach to Iran. Now, this might be thrown out because the also the Iranian the, the Europeans can be weak if you have a weak Biden Blinken going soft on Iran and doing anything to uh, make some sort of temporary deal with Iran because basically just to kick down the road because the uh, Biden want, wants to go on to other issues more domestic issues and doesn't want this albatross of Iran round his throat for another year or two 
So the weakness and the incompetence of the Biden administration is clear for everyone to see when it comes to the so-called nuclear talk beginning this week in, in Vienna. Actually, they haven't begun properly either. Look, tell me what's going on in Vienna right now. The United States isn't even there because the talks have started this week. But what's happening here is the Iranian representatives and the Europeans are talking. And instead of the Americans taking, setting the ground rules for this, the United States has allowed Iran to dictate the terms and become the prosecutors in the current, well, I call it the Viennese farce right now. Israel is demanding. They're making demands. It's Iran making demands in Vienna right now. They're demanding the United States must lift all its sanctions on Iran. Otherwise, there won't be any talks. This is Iran laying down the law, not the United States. So you see what I mean by a soft administration. By the way, they won't even sit in the same room when the, if the Americans get there. They won't be face to face with the Iranian delegation. The Iranian delegation will be in one room and the Americans will be in another and the, uh, the Europeans will be the go-betweens, so the matchmakers, if you like, passing the messages from one delegation to the other. This is no way to address any serious negotiations. And yesterday, as you said earlier in the introduction, uh, uh, Alan, that the, uh, the uh, Iranian delegates said they, or sorry, the European group have told the Iranians they have until the end of this week to display flexibility if they want the, the nuclear talks to begin. I'm not sure they're so bothered to, to have them uh, uh, begin. And again, the United States seems to be lagging behind. In the meantime, uh, as I said, Yael Lapid has been meeting with, with his officials over there uh, to move the Iranians back off their nuclear development program. But Israel has no illusions that the State Department is capable of getting Iran to walk away from their nuclear uh, program. We don't believe they can do it. You know, as you say over there in Texas, it ain't going to happen. And the nuclear clock is ticking. And the minimum, I think, that Israel will accept would be a deal that is longer, stronger and tougher than the first ones, the first bad Obama deal. And the one that demands close and regular inspections. That's not what we're getting right now. And that's what we'll end up, I think we'll end up, if, we, if it ends up any talks at all, it's going to be what I call a Biden-like deal that will leave Iran to complete their mission. And that's the dangerous part. Because if that happens, it's inevitably going to lead Israel to deal with the problem and take the initiative, as we did before, in both Iraq and in Syria. And we haven't been given yet the type of weapons we wanted from the United States. I think... Speaking off the record, and I have no inside information, this is one of the things that Benny Gantz is trying to get out of Lloyd Austin. Um, but you can rely on Israel to plan a decisive mission. And the mission will be executed without giving the United States the heads up until the planes are on the way back, as we did in Syria. That was when George Bush was there. Um, as basic as Naftali Bennett said at the United Nations recently, words don't stop Iranian centrifuges from spinning. That's the Iranian game. Jaw-jaw as they prepare for an action. Uh, and what, uh, Let me give you some background on what's happening with Israel on the military front. Uh, IDF Chief of Staff, Aviv Kahavi, said openly in Israel 
or anybody that's listening, that the Iran nuclear program has prompted the IDF to what he called speed up our operational plans. And since then, a special budget has been approved by the new government to, uh, to make so that Aviv uh, Kahavi and the IDF can make uh, preparations for actions against nuclear, the Iran nuclear program. Uh, and the other thing you should know about is a week or so ago, we had a major drill in Israel, an emergency, civilian emergency drill carried out all over the country where the sirens were going up and the army and the police and the civilian, the home front were all geared up together to practice what would happen in the event of something happen. And the Iranian response would be raining rockets down on us from different directions, both from Syria in the east and from Hezbollah in the north and from Hamas in the south and maybe Iran. So things are happening right now within Israel that the world really doesn't know about. But I think it's uh, interesting to, uh, for you to appreciate and know what's going on. Yeah. In addition to your expertise on political matters, I must say that I admire your sense of humor. It's definitely an addition to your, to your intelligence, your, your high intelligence. You know, um, especially when in a recent social media post, you stated the hard, that the hardline Iranian regime prepares to treat the United States like apple strudel in Vienna. Can we talk about that comparison? I, I'm sorry, I just, I have to bring this up. I could well, not let I mean, that you go. Could, you, you could see everything that happened is that... Um, Iranians have, uh, have really, as we say, sussed out the Biden administration. They're a patsy. The Iranians are laughing. People like Israel are worried. I mean, behind the humor, there is grave concerns over here from what we're seeing happening in America, both internally and externally. I think there's a great problem over there that you're experiencing. Um, but, you know... I want you to know that the, just one final thing on the Iranian things before we come on this, that even if Iran has enough enriched material for a bomb, because they could go very quickly uh, from, from 20% up to 90%, which is weapon grades material, it hasn't moved it yet, but such a move would be considered in Israel as a proclamation to a declaration of war. But even if Iran amasses enough enriched material, the 90% uranium for a bomb, which Israel thinks it can do within two to three months, it's not the same as attaining a deliverable nuclear weapon in that time. That's still a process which would take perhaps eight months to a year from the decision, the Iranian decision, to actually break out and make the bomb. Now, you can be sure that Israeli intelligence is watching very carefully what's going on. The question is, at what time we're going to have to take action? That we won't know about until probably after the event. But it may, be, may happen about the same day as something would happen. But it may not be in the immediate future, like anything of the next two or three months. Um, I'm going to come on um, to, to the issue of Hanukkah, but do it in a strange way. And, you know, Mila, like we spoke about the relevance of what happened 2,000 years ago and its relevance today. And I'm going to touch on this because I know over there in America, you're lighting your pretty candles, you're saying a little prayer or bracha, you eat sulganiyot, and that's it. All right. But 
What you need to know about Hanukkah story is the significance of the Maccabean revolt. I'm not going to give you a history lesson here, but I'm, I'm using it just to intro to what is the relevance, what's happening today, where the Antiochus, who was a Greek Syrian, attempted to quash Judaism and to capture our land over 2,000, 2,000 years ago. And the ragtag network of ordinary folk stood up against the enemy army and defeated them in resisting the siege of Jerusalem. They had gone there and they had decimated our temple. Now, you think I'm talking about something to, to uh, 2,000 years ago, but bear with me on this, Peter, okay? The Antiochus, who desecrated the Jewish temple, didn't allow the Jews to pray there as he desecrated the temple. And Matthias and his two five sons called on the Jews to whoever is God to follow me. And they built their base in an area called Judea. Today it's called the West Bank. That's what the pro-Palestinians call it. We call it part of Judea and Samaria. And they, this ragbag army of Jews fought their way back to Jerusalem and occupied the Temple Mount where a tiny jar of oil, this is a story, kept the light going for eight days until they defeated them. Now, what's the relevance of the 2,000 years whistling today? Today, where the United Nations General Assembly, the end of last week, passed a resolution called the Jerusalem Resolution, officially rebranding the Temple Might only by its Muslim name, Al-Haram al-Sharif. Okay, you know about this already. What they're doing is they were expunging all the Jewish roots and its importance, not only to Judaism, but also to Christianity. This is for the Christian uh, viewers to your program. This is the relevance that they can appreciate and share as well in the annals of the United Nations. What's particularly galling about this was the supine lack of leadership of so-called Christian countries who at the United Nations, in my opinion, rolled over. And instead of opposing this defamation, they abstained. In other words, they sat on the fence in a cowardly gesture to appease the Muslim world. And these non-Jewish, non-Muslim, and increasingly non-Christian diplomats who stayed there represent countries that have lost touch with the traditional values of their own nations. Many of them, if you look around Europe and you look at their flags, they have a cross on them, right? Because this was the tradition based in Christianity. Most European flags have crosses in them. But today, the cross is meaningless in their national flag. And shame on them. But the spirit and the life of the Maccabeans remain strong and bright this Hanukkah. This is the modern story being carried out in, 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 in our days today. Now, the United Nations resolution was passed by a vote of 129 to 11. Last Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday, sorry, of this week. And most of the Europeans abstained. And it was they were disavowing Jewish ties to the Temple Mount on a causing it really by its, its Muslim name only. This is terrible. And this is, part of, this is part of the message of Hanukkah. It's morally, historically, and politically wrong 
for members of this body, United Nations, to support language that denies both Jewish and Christian connections to the Temple Mount. And if you want to make the case that Jerusalem is important to three monolithic religions, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But the United Nations has now overridden the historic act that designated Jerusalem as being significant to one religion only, and that is Islam. And the United States were impotent in gathering any strong support against that resolution. Why? I ask the question, did the Democratic administration not want to accept their own Islamist representations in the House? Or is there another reason that we don't know about? Because something is at play here. And it's not pleasant. On the issue, as many others, we see the impotence of the United States in the United Nations. America simply doesn't have any leverage in the General Assembly anymore. And there was one other particular relevant event this year, uh, as we both celebrate Hanukkah and recall what the message of Hanukkah is all about. It's to commemorate the victory of the Maccabees who sought their place and practice in freedom and without fear. And I say this at a time when Jews in America, and I just read this morning about what happened in Beverly Hills, where Jews thought they were cocooned from confronting anti-Semitism, had symbols, anti-Semitic symbols posted on their doors. This is the message of the Maccabees that the Jews have to wake up and be as strong now as they were 2,000 years ago. And I urge your followers and your viewers to rediscover your activist spine, to rise up and to join pro-Israel, actively pro-Israel groups or organizations, whether it's Jexit, whether it's the Zionist Organization of America, whether it's American Israel Patriots, whether it's Light for Israel USA, or go out and form one yourself and learn to defend yourself, your Judaism and Israel in conversation and activism. And call and do it in your own city. Call upon your city governors, the mayors and everybody, your national representative to stand firm with Israel and firmly against any form of Jew hatred. They're not going to get, tell them that if they're not going to do this, anybody's going to be standing in the 2022 election. If they're not going to stand up and declare this openly before the election, they're not going to get the Jewish vote because there is a war going on in America. And it's those who support Judaism, support the Jews, support Israel, and those who hate them. So just like 2,000 years ago, just like when Israel is under attack, you're under attack. So get yourself organized and start to speak out. Barry, we have about four minutes left. I want to go back to the Iran issue and and Europe, um, because I also read that the Europeans are a little bit frustrated because whereas Iran came, uh, you know, during the Obama administration and they feigned like they were interested in uh, in a negotiation, now they're playing hardball. Um, and now you have Russia and China, both uh, allies of Iran, and you have Russia building up troops on the Ukrainian border, while tensions between the U.S. and China are also building up. So do you think now that if ever there was a time when Europe was going to develop a backbone – even for the wrong reasons, that this bodes a little bit better for Israel. Um, now that the Iranians are somewhat exposed and their two biggest proxies are um, basically looking for a fight with both the Europeans and with uh, the United States. Uh, I'll give you another perspective you haven't mentioned here, but uh, from uh, my knowledge and information with regard to our, our strategic affairs, one thing you have to care, care about is if I come on to one of the major disasters in foreign policy, another one, 
was, of course, the Afghan withdrawal of the United States, right? Um, you, you mentioned China and you mentioned Russia. Yes, China is already there in, um, in uh, Afghanistan. They've uh, got the mining rights, uh, which is going to enrich the Taliban uh, for the rare earth, uh, uh, things like lithium or whatever they've got over there. But the other thing you've got to watch is Iran. Iran is borders Afghanistan. And you, it's not only the danger to us, but I, I made a prediction on a, on a show I did a, a couple of days ago that because of the mishandling, not only in Afghanistan, but the mishandling of the, um, uh, the people who are flooding into America, uh, unverified, you don't know what is going to happen to America maybe a few years down the road. You don't know the terror plots that are going to be happening in America with unbridled migration into the, into the United States, as I saw and I predicted 15, 20 years ago in Europe. And I, again, I did a program uh, last week with people can find on YouTube where I interviewed uh, uh, somebody from the um, World Zionist Organization, Sweden. Uh, and I was questioning her about the sort of crimes and the sort of terror attacks they're seeing in, in Sweden of all places. And she admitted that the Swedes have lost their country. I'm not talking about France, Germany, and the main part. I'm talking up there in Scandinavia. They are experiencing the sort of gruesome crimes that they had never experienced in their life before. They are getting terrorism against Jews in Sweden, in various places, in Gottesburg and in, in, in Malmo, for instance. This is coming to America. The people are there right now. It will take time. Like in Europe, it happened more with the second generation of the people you've allowed flooding in. And a lot of those will be coming from Afghanistan. And a lot of the people coming from Afghanistan would have been trained, armed, and uh, operated by Iran. So you could expect whether it's Islamic State or whether it's Taliban or whether it's Al-Qaeda, uh, they are now in Afghanistan. The Taliban and others are in now cahoots with Iran and are now formulating something. And Iran never do attack ruthlessly. The, the only time they will do an attack openly will be a nuclear one on Israel. But they use the proxies for attacks on Israel and Saudi Arabia and Yemen and other places, uh, uh, for, uh, Lebanon, for instance. They will do the same in America. And this is a danger you have to worry about. Don't necessarily link Iran together with Russia and China. Look at Iran as being the meddler, and they will be the arm behind the terror attacks that you will be getting in America. Now, it might take five years, 10 years, or 12 years before this has happened. But this was predicted 20 years ago with the ridiculous immigration, open border policy of the Europeans, and they're reaping the whirlwind today. You will reap the whirlwind of discontented, thousands and thousands of discontented migrants who never found their place and never integrated in America, and also together with them coming over the border and even being flown in by the Biden-Blinken administration and then walking out of holding places and going into the mainstream of America, they will begin coordinating all sorts of 
horrible, nasty things that America will experience sometime in the future. Uh, I, I, I can't, I wish I could say, I wish it won't happen, but I predict it will. Barry, we're out of time, but I do have to make one point, and I, I know we're not going to have time to delve into this, but it's unbelievable how in Iran, its citizens suffer from basic human needs like shortage of water and electricity. They oppose as much as they could short of getting their heads chopped off, and the United States is not revolting against these unlivable conditions in towns like Isfahan, and they don't say or do anything about it. And uh, that's just something that I would like to touch upon at a different time. Um, we are out uh, of time right now. Uh, it was an um, opportunity lost by Obama, by the way, because the people were ready to rise up and they reached out. They spoke openly to Obama. Make sure you support us. And Obama dropped the ball. Thank you for joining us today on The Definitive Wrap. Thank you to VinNews.com for hosting our show. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. Happy Hanukkah. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.